Locked On Red Sox, your daily Boston Red Sox podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right. Happy Monday, Locked on Red Sox listeners. This is, of course, Locked on Red Sox on the Locked on Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Gabrielle, founder of Girl at the Game. We have a jam-packed episode for you on this dreary Monday afternoon. It is so cold and gray outside that I feel like I'm finally in full hibernation mode. I've got my mug of tea. I've got the fireplace roaring, heated blanket going sweatpants, all of it. I'm ready to just hunker down and ride this off-season out. So for starters, getting back into kind of the off-season mode of this podcast, if you're a long-time listener, you know that every day I like to start off with some history. Sadly, today, the first thing is that I want to send condolences to the Morgan family and all Cincinnati Reds fans and baseball fans around the world because the legendary Joe Morgan passed away yesterday at the age of 77. He's a Hall of Famer, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, second baseman in baseball history, an absolute icon of the game. He won back-to-back National League MVPs in 1975 and 1976. And as Red Sox fans, a lot of you probably remember Joe Morgan as the reason that the Red Sox curse did not break in 1975 because the 1975 World Series, which was considered to be one of, if not the greatest, fall classic of all time, saw the Red Sox losing to the Reds in seven games. That was the year that the Reds won a franchise record 108 games. Sound familiar? And it was the same World Series that had Carlton Fisk hitting that legendary walk-off home run to extend the series to a Game 7. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. So that was Game 6. But then, of course, the following game... It was Morgan's RBI bloop single into center field in the ninth inning that drove in Ken Griffey to walk it off in Game 7, giving the Reds their World Series championship, and they would win another one the following year against the Yankees. Morgan also played for the Astros, Giants, Phillies, and A's in a legendary career that spanned over two decades from 1963 to 1984. And after retiring, he became a broadcaster working with ABC Sports, NBC Sports, ESPN, as well as broadcasting for the Reds, Giants, and others while serving as a special advisor to the Reds. It's really just feels like the baseball world has lost so many legends this year. Apropos of everything else going on in 2020, the baseball world has just been hit harder than usual. Al Kaline, Don Larson, Sweet Lou Johnson, Tom Seaver, Bob Gibson, Lou Brock, Whitey Ford, and now Joe Morgan. So I just wanted to start off today's episode by sending condolences to all of the families and loved ones of these baseball legends. It's just another very sad day in baseball. Now, it's also a crazy day in Red Sox history. I already talked about the 1975 World Series, even though that was not on October 12th specifically, but a lot of things happened on October 12th 
in postseason history for the Red Sox. For starters, in 1916, in front of what was then a record crowd of 43,620 fans at Braves Field in Boston, the Red Sox won their fourth World Series championship against the Brooklyn Robins, who are now the Los Angeles Dodgers. It was the 13th year of the World Series, and of course, you'll remember that they won the first one, too, in 1903, and there was no World Series in 1904, but I think they would have won that one, too, if the New York Giants had been brave enough to face them. And if you're wondering why they played at Braves Field instead of at Fenway Park across town, it's because the National League Boston Braves had a much larger ballpark, and so... For the second year in a row, because you'll remember they won in 1915 too, the Red Sox played their World Series home games at Braves Field to ensure that more fans would be able to attend all of the games, which is wonderful. But also crazy to think that Fenway Park just wasn't seeing World Series games when it was such a new young ballpark. Fast forwarding a couple decades. In 1967, sadly, the Boston Impossible Dream season came to an end when Cardinals ace Bob Gibson threw a three-hitter against the Red Sox, which was his third complete game of that World Series, and the Red Sox lost 7-2. to It was an incredible year for them, but sadly, like many of their World Series endeavors for 86 years, ended in tragedy. Fast forward another two decades. In 1986, the Angels were one strike away from going to the World Series against the Red Sox in the ALCS. But Dave Henderson hit a two-run homer off of Donnie Moore, and the Red Sox pulled ahead 6-5 to five and eventually would score a deciding run in the 11th inning on Henderson sack fly to keep the series alive and ultimately advance to another World Series that would ultimately end in heartbreak. And finally... On this day in 2013, which doesn't seem like such a long time ago, but it was actually seven years ago, which is crazy, Anibal Sanchez became the second pitcher in postseason history to strike out four batters in a single inning. He struck out Jacoby Ellsbury, Shane Victorino, who ended up getting on base on a passed ball, David Ortiz, and Mike Napoli. It was the first inning of the game, and the Tigers would ultimately beat the Red Sox in that game one to nothing. But as we know, the Red Sox would ultimately go on to win that series and the World Series. So lots happening on this day in Red Sox franchise history. Now, before I talk about some managerial rumors, some Chaim Bloom conspiracy theories, I guess they would say. I think I'm overanalyzing his words way too much, but what else am I going to do? And some postseason, let's talk about Bill Barr for a second. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. They are the best tasting protein bars on the market. It's not even close. These bars are covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew. They come in 18 amazing flavors, including both nut and nut-free flavors. And unlike other protein bars on the market, these bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, and high-fiber. So instead of pumping your body full of sugar when you're actually trying to eat protein— with Built Bar, you're pumping your body full of protein, and it just happens to taste amazing. Built Bar is great for the health-conscious guy or gal, so if you're looking to lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat, Built Bar is the bar for you. For a limited time only, Built Bar has upped their offer. They are now offering 20% off your next order when you go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON. 
Usually it's 10%. Right now it's 20%. And that works if you are a first-time buyer or a repeat customer. So use promo code Locked On for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. Now, I don't know if it's me being a crazy person or just the quarantine getting to me, not leaving the house pretty much ever, no baseball of my own to watch, but I feel like that gif of Charlie Day from It's Always Sunny when he's trying to explain a conspiracy theory and he's pointing at his crazy wall with all of the pictures and letters on it, the thread that's connecting all of them. Hopefully you actually know what I'm talking about, but I feel like a crazy person at this point. And what I'm talking about is that I am way over analyzing everything that I hear Chaim Bloom say and everything that I read about Red Sox updates. For example, this morning I woke up and saw that the wonderful Jen McCaffrey of The Athletic had tweeted that the Red Sox announced that bench coach Jerry Naren and bullpen coach Craig Bjornsson will not be returning to the Red Sox in 2021. The rest of the staff has been invited to return for next season, and that includes Dave Bush, Tom Goodwin, Tim Hires, Carlos Fablis, Jason Veritek, Ramon Vasquez, and others. For starters, note that Jason Veritek's name is on the list of staff who has been invited to return for next season. So that pretty much effectively rules out Jason Veritek being the manager, you would assume, unless this is just a misdirect. But, you know, talking it out and thinking it out, you have two ways of thinking here when it comes to the idea that the majority of the staff has been invited to return. On the one hand, you could say, okay, well, a majority of the staff being invited to return, and these are mostly guys who have been here when Cora was here too, would imply that it's Cora who's coming back because Cora wouldn't want an entirely new staff because he already picked most of these guys. So maybe Cora is coming back. Hmm. On the other hand, my counterpoint was sometimes a new manager doesn't want to come in and start with a new staff of their own because a staff that's already been in place who already really knows the players and is close with the players can be the bridge between a new manager and those players. You can think about it both ways. So maybe Cora is coming back and these guys are just staying because they're waiting for their boss to come back. Or maybe Bloom is getting a completely new manager, but that new manager says, all right, after a crazy stressful coronavirus baseball season, I really need guys in place who can help me connect with the players faster, as opposed to the players having to connect to not only a new manager, but also a new coaching staff. So clearly I am spiraling. <laughs> Another wrinkle to this is that it was announced today that the Chicago White Sox have parted ways with Rick Renteria. Personally, I'm not saying that I want Cora to leave or to come back. If you've been listening to this show or following me online or reading girlatthegame.com, you know that I'm very conflicted about my own personal feelings about it. But Cora and the Red Sox aside, Cora with the White Sox is a very interesting premise. They have a lot of talent. They've got some young guys. One of the things that was going around today was the idea that some White Sox veterans felt like Rick Renteria needed to be better at holding players more accountable. And as you know, that's something that Cora was good at. But I think it's more that 
the White Sox have seen more proven candidates who are about to become available, and I'm, of course, talking about A.J. Hinge and Alex Cora. It's pretty clear that Renteria, who turned the White Sox into a pretty legit postseason contender this year, is not getting the shaft so much because of himself, but more because more appealing options are about to hit the market. As soon as the World Series is over, on November 4th, AJ Hinge and Alex Cora will be available. And there are teams that will want them, and not just the Red Sox. And bolstering that opinion is White Sox general manager Rick Hahn, who said that for a manager, they will be looking for an experienced candidate with recent experience in a championship organization. The only candidates really on the market right now who fit that description are Alex Cora and A.J. Hinch. So it stands to reason that the White Sox are going to make a play. Of the two of them, I would think that Cora would be a more viable candidate. He is specifically known for being able to connect to his players. He works really well with young, talented groups. And Alex Cora is a much better leader than A.J. Hinch because, yes, Alex Cora has done some bad things, but so has A.J. Hinch. And the difference is that A.J. Hinch fully admitted that when he found out that his own players were cheating— basically staging a coup right underneath his nose, he admitted that he had no control over getting them to stop. He lost control of his clubhouse. He knew that they were doing something wrong, and by all accounts, he did nothing to stop it and said that he didn't feel like he could stop it. So if you're looking for a manager who's going to hold your players more accountable, which is what we are hearing from Ken Rosenthal about White Sox veterans— and you are looking for a, quote, experienced candidate with leadership in a postseason setting, as the GM of the White Sox is saying, you want Cora, you don't want Hinch. Cora is that flawed leader, but Hinch is a spineless jellyfish. I mean, that's not a leader. You're literally letting your players walk all over you and you do nothing about it. So either you care that they're cheating, but not enough to do anything about it because you think it might benefit you because you could win a postseason, or... You can't do anything about it because you have no control over your clubhouse. And either way, that's not a good manager. So the Red Sox are going to have to decide pretty quickly if they want Cora back. And I still haven't decided if I think Cora should come back. So hopefully they're better at making decisions than I am. This is why I would not be good at running a ball club, at least from this aspect. But me being good at running baseball is a conversation for another day. But one of the reasons that I'm not exactly sure that Chaim Bloom is going to want Alex Cora is because of the last episode from last week when I talked about Chaim Bloom's Q&A with the Jewish community where he really opened up. If you haven't listened to that one already, it was the episode from late Friday night. Being in that informal setting, he kind of opened up and was more at ease and gave some interesting insight, talked about a lot of different topics, including updates on Jackie Bradley Jr. and Eduardo Rodriguez, Chris Sale, Tanner Houck, all kinds of stuff. It was very enlightening and um, definitely recommend that episode. But one of the biggest things that I took away from that is that Chaim Bloom really wants a manager with whom he can have a partnership. That is the exact word he used. He wanted a partnership. And when he talked about what he wants from a partnership, he said, quote, 
I don't think it's necessarily one size fits all, but there needs to be a partnership. There needs to be a lot of trust. You're going to be doing this together. You need to be able to support each other. So the key words there, partnership, trust, together, and support. When I think of the word trust, Alex Cora is not the first thing that comes to mind unless you're asking me for the opposite. I think that Alex Cora deserves a chance to manage in the big leagues again. I'm not so sure it should be with the Boston Red Sox, and I don't think that Chaim Bloom is sure either. Obviously, he can't announce one way or the other if the Red Sox are rehiring Cora until November 4th. But when he talks about somebody that he can have full trust and a partnership with and work really closely, which is not something that you always see from a GM and a manager, but it's clear that that's what Chaim Bloom wants, can Chaim Bloom trust Alex Cora? Coming off a year suspension, two cheating investigations, I don't know if that's what Chaim Bloom is looking for. And he did say that the trust doesn't have to be there immediately because a lot of times it isn't, but that there has to be the groundwork and kind of the feeling that you're going to build strong trust with someone. So on the one hand, you could say to that, all right, so he doesn't trust Cora, but he thinks that he can grow to trust him. On the other hand, he wants someone he can trust and he doesn't trust Cora, so he's not going to hire Cora. Again, I'm spiraling. But it's definitely, you know, a lot of people have been saying it's 100% going to be Cora. It's definitely Cora, Cora 2021. And you know what? Cora also might not want to come back. He, I feel like we're not talking about his side of this. Cora might want a new start of his own. He might want a fresh beginning with another team. He might want to go to the White Sox. He might say, I want to manage Tim Anderson and Lucas Giolito. I want Dallas Keuchel. He might want this young, talented crop of guys who he can build into a championship team. He might not want to come back here and deal with all of this. He might want to move on too. Either way, the Red Sox need to get their butts in gear, figure out a manager, and announce it as soon as they possibly can, which is as soon as the World Series is over, and then they need to let Chaim Bloom get to work on the roster. This cannot be a thing where they are just searching for a manager until February, because guess what? That's going to take away all of your time to be building up this team in the many ways that I have said that they can build up this team into what could be, even in the next year, a wild card team. If they get some pitching and they stay healthy and they get Sale and Erod back by the middle of the season, they could do it. They still have an immensely talented team. They just need to get their butts in gear. Now, before I end today's episode, I want to talk about the postseason just for a minute because fans are going to be in the stands and I touched on this a few weeks ago, but I don't like this. And I'm not saying that to be petty about, oh, I don't get to go. This is about Major League Baseball, yet again, not doing the right thing. And what I'm talking about is the fact that multiple Major League Baseball players' wives expressed to me how hurt and frustrated they were, that they weren't allowed to see their own husbands and boyfriends and partners, etc., play baseball this season. They should have been the first ones allowed into ballparks since by living with their partners, they had to follow the same protocols in order to keep their men safe so that they could play baseball. 
So they were abiding by all of the rules, but they were not able to benefit from that in any way, shape, or form. So basically, they were just putting their lives on hold, as many baseball wives do, in order to enable their men to play baseball. This is an immense sacrifice. And the other thing is that by not allowing families into the empty ballparks, that's the reason that many families did not decide to travel with their player this year. They decided not to move with their players because especially in a city like Boston, you know that most Red Sox players don't live here during the offseason. That's one of the things that made Brock Holt so special is that he was like, oh yeah, I love Boston so much, I'm going to live there. He currently still lives here. Shout out Brock Holt. He was like, I want to live here. No one wants to live in Boston in the winter. I don't want to live in Boston right now and it's gray and cloudy in October. The second this season is over, like J.D. Martinez is back in Miami fishing on a boat. So when baseball comes back most years, you know, families will move up to the cities with their husbands so their husbands can play. But this year, because families weren't going to be allowed in the ballparks and because most American cities were pretty much shut down because of coronavirus and summer camps weren't happening, a lot of playgrounds weren't open, lots of activities that families would usually do with their kids weren't open, a lot of families elected not to travel with their player this year. And what I heard from a lot of them was, why should I uproot my kids' lives if we'd have to stay home all day in isolation and they couldn't even watch their dad play? And it's 100% true because you're basically saying to people, leave your nice full home, you know, the one that probably has a yard, maybe a pool, and move up to Boston, stay in an apartment with no outdoor activity area for your kids, and you can't even go to watch your dad play at Fenway. So, like, what are you going to do all day? I wouldn't do it either. But then, you know, it's the reason that a lot of families were apart for months. And when you think about how big a ballpark is, you know, each Red Sox family, for example, could have had their own section at Fenway Park. They would have had hundreds of seats to themselves. They would have been able to totally social distance. They could have worn masks. They could have brought their own food. They wouldn't have interacted with a single living being. It would not have been the craziest thing to just say, okay, each family can have a section of 500 seats. I think that's a safe enough distance, you know, and you already know that they're following the rules because they're living with their husband or boyfriend who is following the rules. You know, so many players talked about how hard it was for them to be apart from their loved ones this year, how lonely they were, how bored and isolated they felt because they had nothing to do other than be at the ballpark and then come home. You know, when I interviewed Martin Perez last week, he talked about how pretty much all he did when he wasn't at the ballpark was play video games and FaceTime his family back home because he, there was nothing else he could do and it was lonely. Having your families in the stands, being able to have them with you in Boston and then come see you at the ballpark would have helped these players a lot more than putting strangers in the stands, especially for guys on teams like the Red Sox who had no chance of going to the postseason. And so instead, they were playing the whole season with no real, you know, pot of gold at the end of this sad rainbow, and their families weren't there. And I'm not saying that fans in the stands is bad. I mean, I think it's very risky from a COVID standpoint because you're allowing a bunch of people whose backgrounds you do not know, you cannot trust them, you don't know their opinions on COVID, social distancing, wearing masks, all of that. It is kind of, yeah, it is kind of bad. But I'm saying that families of players and staff should have come first. They should have been allowed in 
Maybe not at the beginning, but especially for a team like the Red Sox where their players followed all of the rules, and that's something Chaim Bloom said he was so proud of his guys for following all of the rules. You could have let them in eventually. It would have shown that MLB, for once, was putting the needs of players first, players and their families. Fans in the stands, instead, just reminds us that MLB will always put money first. And, (laughs) God, it sucks. That's all there is to say. It sucks. Sorry to end today's episode on a low note, but that's all I've got for today. Thanks so much for tuning in. You can follow me on Twitter at GFSTARR1. You can follow Locked on Red Sox at LO underscore Red Sox. Tune in to the ALCS and root, root, root for the Rays to beat the Astros. And as always, even in the offseason, go Red Sox. Go Red Sox.